our position is, is that DNR is not doing enough here. There's this notion that these regulations have not been enforced at all and that the Trump administration is resolving these complaints by avoiding finding discrimination. The point of our complaint is really not to shut down the polluters, that's certainly not practical, but to give the, a voice to the neighborhood groups that we represent. They're taking baby steps and we would like them to take bigger steps. The only nonprofit environmental law firm in Missouri provides free and reduced fee legal services to individuals, citizens groups, and environmental organizations. Those might be people concerned with protecting the green spaces in their county or holding accountable the polluter in their neighborhood. I'm Sarah Fenske. St. Louis on the Air continues right after this. Hi, I'm Alex Hoyer, executive producer for St. Louis on the Air. Before today's episode, I want to take a moment to say thank you for listening and choosing this podcast. Our team works hard to provide nuance on the news that shapes your life and your community. We wouldn't be able to do this without your support. The money you give to St. Louis Public Radio helps fund this podcast. So please go to stlpr.org donate and give an amount that works for you. Your contribution, along with that of your neighbors, is what fuels St. Louis on the air. We're really grateful. And again, that website is stlpr.org donate. And thanks. Great Rivers Environmental Law Center has been fighting legal battles on behalf of St. Louis area residents since 2002. I spoke with two staff attorneys there on today's show, Sarah Rubenstein and Bob Manise. So, Bob, this firm has been going strong for 18 years now. What's the origin story? Well, the origin story is actually pretty long. It started with a guy named Louis Green, who was the first environmental lawyer in St. Louis. Uh, he used to represent environmental groups. Um, in his private practice, he would do some non-environmental work, and he would take environmental cases. And in the twilight of his career, he realized the need for a nonprofit law firm that could focus exclusively on environmental law cases. Um, and so he uh, set up the um, law center with uh, his daughter, Kathleen Henry, who was the former president uh, of the organization, and Bruce Morrison in 2002, uh, using some money from uh, an, an MSD rate case. And so that was the origins hmm. of the law center, and we've been going strong ever since uh, 2002 when it was formed. So uh, there was Lou, just a, the proceeds from one case provided the seed for this. That's my understanding. So how, do, how does things work now? I mean, you're doing a lot of this work for free or you're doing it for very low fees. Where does the financial backing come from? Uh, we're mostly an individual donor-driven organization where different individuals provide us donations uh, as our sources of revenue. We do get grants from some uh, foundations and other organizations to do certain types of work. Mm. Um, and we do get a small amount of fees from um, 
from what are called fee-shifting cases where we bring a successful lawsuit and a government agency or a polluter pays our attorney's fees. That must feel good. <laughs> when it happens, it does. Now, um, Sarah, in terms of the, the cases that you guys bring and the matters that you work on, do you get a lot of people seeking you out or do you proactively look for issues where you feel like you could be of service? So it's kind of a combination of both. We have um, six different program areas and um, some um, environmental groups in the area come to us for representation, for example, in our climate and energy work, um, on our water quality work. Uh, and then in other situations, it's, it's like an individual with a concern about flooding in their neighborhood um, wetlands that, that they see uh, being being harmed. Um, and then there are situations where we, we are working with neighborhood groups to sort of provide information to them about issues that they wouldn't ordinarily know about and then um, let them decide if that's an issue of concern that, that we can help them with. So I know one issue you've been involved with recently, this has to do with uh, Kinder Morgan Transmix. That's a diesel and gasoline company along the St. Louis Riverfront. What first put that on your radar? Well, as part of sort of our routine uh, air pollution work, a lot of what we do is kind of monitoring the state environmental agency's permitting of air pollution facilities. The Kinder Morgan air permit came up for renewal in the fall of last year. And as part of our routine work, we commented on that permit, um, sort of identifying, you know, what are the environmental issues of concern we feel that the state needs to, to address in the permit. And one of the issues we raised in that permit was concern about this sort of disturbing trend that, that we're seeing. and. Um, that lots of others have, have noticed of pollution sources tending to be located in low-income minority neighborhoods. Mm. And Kinder Morgan is a perfect example of that. They're located in the Dutchtown neighborhood and immediately adjacent to schools and lots of residential uh, housing. Um, and so we asked the Department of Natural Resources to sort of address that issue in, in our comment letter last fall. That's kind of how it started. Okay. Well, the Dutchtown South Community Corporation signed on to a complaint you ended up filing with the EPA on that, and that was along with the St. Louis branch of the NAACP. The complaint accuses uh, Missouri's Department of Natural Resources of violating the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the EP's own regulations by renewing the air pollution permits for this facility. Now, uh, Carissa Gilman-Hernandez is the community empowerment organizer at the Dutchtown South Community Corporation, and she talked to our producer, Evie Hemphill. She explained why the organization uh, was willing to sign on to this complaint. If it's a windy day um, or on the right day, you can smell the Kinder Horkin facility like from our uh, offices. And that's a few miles away from it. Um, it's just people notice the smell. Like when I talk to people about it, I say like, have you ever noticed that like weird chemically smell that's in the air sometimes? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, that's the Kinder Morgan facility. Um, it's got all sorts of pollutants in it that are linked to asthma and heart disease and all sorts of other bad things. And they go, oh my gosh, I've always thought about it. Or um, 
some people will say like, I noticed the difference between um, when I'm like nearby and I cough more versus when I'm further away. And so nobody was like surprised that there was such a large pollutant in their neighborhood. Um, I think they all just kind of assumed that if there was pollutants in the air, then they wouldn't be that harmful or somebody would have done something about it. And that is Carissa Gilman Hernandez. She's the community empowerment organizer at Dutchtown South Community Corporation. We did want to ask Kinder Morgan for its response to those allegations from Carissa. And the company provided a statement. It says, in September, the Missouri Department of Natural Resources conducted a thorough inspection of our facility for compliance with its air regulations and permitting, and there were no concerns identified. The odor is not originating from our transmix operations. While we do operate in an industrial area, the space is shared with other companies. Sarah, I want to bring this back to you. Um, in terms of working with community groups, is part of your work sometimes also education to make them understand what their rights are? And and yeah, if you're smelling something bad, maybe this is something where you could have some power to take it on. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's some really cool work going on in the St. Louis area. We have the benefit of two wonderful research institutions that are doing a lot of great work on sort of social science behind um, some of these disturbing environmental trends and the, the, the chemical science behind it as well. And so a lot of what we do is just sort of advising, you know, this polluter is here and this is what it can be doing to you. This is what you could be breathing and then leave it up to the groups to decide. But the, the point of our complaint is really not to shut down the polluters. That's certainly not practical, but to give the, a voice to the neighborhood groups that we represent so that they can be part of the process of deciding what what facilities get permitted and should there be additional controls or monitoring required um, on those facilities before they get permitted. Well, when Evie talked to Carissa Gilman-Hernandez, that again is the community empowerment organizer at the Dutchtown South Community Corporation, uh, Carissa explained what she hopes is going to come out of this. What I think will end up happening is hopefully Kinder Morgan and the Dutchtown South community can sit down with them and we can come to an agreement where it comes to, you know, Kinder Morgan investing in the community around them, um, helping make sure that there are resources for people who are suffering from the pollutants that they've put up um, an easy uh, and overall like beneficial improvement that we could see. It's just, you know, Kinder Morgan helping support um, planting trees in the area. It works really well as something to clean the air, but it also um, adds, uh, helps with overheating in the summers and just overall is really beneficial. And so if Kinder Morgan could help like with programs that help um, do back with their pollutants that they're putting in the air and really put invest money into the communities that they are choosing to build their facilities in. And that's Carissa Gilman-Hernandez of the Dutchtown South Community Corporation. Um, And my guests today are Sarah Rubenstein. She's a staff attorney with Great Rivers Environmental Law Center, as well as her counterpart, Bob Moniz, uh, who is also a staff attorney there for that nonprofit environmental law center, the only one in Missouri. So we heard there what Carissa hopes will come out of this. Um, Your complaint is against the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Bob, is there then an opportunity that maybe this could bring the company to the table? Is, Is Carissa real? 
realistic, I guess, in, in hoping that maybe this will get everybody more on the same page. Um, so EPA and its regulations uh, in talking about uh, if you take money from the federal government, um, you have to make sure that your programs um, and activities don't result in discrimination based on uh, race and that they don't have the effect of discriminating against it. And EPA has said that one of the most important aspects in avoiding non-discrimination is to provide for meaningful public participation. Hmm. Um, our position is, is that DNR is not doing enough here. And we know of other states and other agencies and other situations where uh, the agency themselves or the person who they might be giving the permit to are required to engage in things like public participation plans where, you know, just sending out an email to a listserv of 20 people who understand air permitting uh, isn't sufficient uh, when you're dealing with a community that's overburdened with pollution sources. And so hmm. what what we would hope would be that the Department of Natural Resources would recognize that they need to do more in certain situations. They can't just send out a form email. They need to engage the community. And so we think that the agency should do it and or uh, the the person who seeks seeks the permit to pollute. Um, we do know of examples in the past where we've talked to communities and they said, well, in the past, Malincrot used to hold meetings with the public and it used to really help us. Uh, they no longer do that. And so I think that there's just a lot of situations out here where uh, community groups who are bearing the brunt of these uh, industrial pollution sources have no idea what's going on. And uh, hopefully this complaint can lead to a better public participation process. Mm -hmm. We did reach out to the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. They gave us a statement. I'm going to read that now. They said, public participation is an important priority of the Department of Natural Resources. We provide notice to and accept comments from the public on all air operating permits, including the recent renewal of the air operating permit for the Kinder Morgan Transmit company. We received and responded to comments from the community during that renewal process. The department is cooperating fully with the EPA in response to Great River's complaint. And they also added that they do not discriminate um, against any person or community based on any protected class, which of course includes race and, and color. They consider non-discrimination a duty and an integral part of their mission. Um, Bob, the Environmental Protection Agency, they're obligated to review and resolve civil rights complaints like this. Have they been doing a good job of that in, say, the past four years? Well, there was a report in 2015 uh, that came out that basically showed that there was an abysmal performance of EPA in addressing these complaints uh, since about 1996. Mm. Um, at the end of the Obama administration, there was a concerted effort in response to this uh, report to try to do more in this capacity. Um, and so on Obama's way out, uh, his, his EPA made the first finding of discrimination in response to a Title VI complaint. Um, there haven't been any since then, and under the uh, Trump administration, uh, who very visibly has defunded environmental justice um, activities and progress in the agency, ha has nevertheless continued to process these complaints hmm. uh, and have found in many situations that... Um, just sending an email out isn't sufficient public participation to engage a community. Um, they've found that a lot of state agencies and other agencies uh, that accept money from them to do different pollution uh, 
permitting and, and different programs are, are really not complying with the bare minimum requirements, which is to provide notice of non-discrimination, which my understanding is the dis- notice of non-discrimination that you just read to us is the first time that the Department of Natural Resources has issued that notice of non-discrimination. So well, hey. that's an interesting <laughs> response to DN- from DNR. We're, we're breaking um, some news here today, apparently. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know, it's news to me. So that's interesting to know that maybe our complaint has already had an effect without EPA actually deciding anything about it. So That is interesting, um, yeah. So the EPA, they, they uh, continue to handle these uh, during the Trump administration even if they haven't uh, brought the kind of action that you saw there at the end of Obama's tenure. Yeah, I think that what, what's happening is, is that there's this, no, there's this notion that these regulations have not been enforced at all and that the Trump administration is resolving these complaints by avoiding finding discrimination, by making sure that uh, these, these entities that are accepting money from them are doing these minimum requirements, uh, providing better public participation, providing grievance procedures for people who believe they've been discriminated against, providing notices of non-discrimination in order to avoid a final determination of discrimination. So, you know, it's not great. They're not, they, they're not going in the right direction, but they are at least trying to meet this minimum threshold of procedural protection to, uh, low-income and minority communities that for many, many decades was not being met at all. In fact, an uh, EPA Office of Inspector General report just came out about three weeks after we filed our complaint, coming to the same conclusion that across the country, people who are taking federal money are not complying with EPA's regulations. So Hmm. um, hopefully things are looking forward. And under the new Biden administration, we can go back to, I think, the, uh, the end result of the of the Obama administration was to actually substantively look at these complaints and find discrimination where warranted. Okay. Well, we've talked a lot about this one complaint here. I know that's something big you're working on recently, but I know it's also just one piece of what you're doing. And in just the final uh, two or so minutes we have here left, I want to get a, a sense of the bigger picture. Sarah, what are some of the other major areas that, that you find yourself spending your time on these days? Sure. So I, I have spent quite a bit of time working with a group um, over living near the Shawnee National Forest in southern Illinois, um, opposed to a Forest Service plan to do clear cutting and uh, use of herbicides in, in wide ranges of the forest. Um, we're trying to encourage the Forest Service to undertake more uh, sustainable methods of forest management in, in, its, in its practices. Um, I've also worked with the Sierra Club and commenting on um, a plan put out by first MDNR and then EPA to address SO2 pollution in the boot heel section of Missouri, hmm. um, which is actually surprisingly one of the, the biggest sources of SO2 in the country. And it up to this point has not really been addressed. We're finally hopefully going to get there. Um, they're, they're taking baby steps, and we would like them to take bigger steps and have asked them to do that and remain hopeful they will. But we've been involved in, in that process as well. Okay. Um, and, and Bob, just uh, real quickly here in our final minute, um, anything else you've been working on that, that is outside this, uh, these things Sarah just talked about? Yeah, so I do a lot of legal work on behalf of another uh, environmental nonprofit called Missouri Confluence Waterkeeper. 
Um, and they're an organization whose mission is to provide fishable, uh, swimmable, drinkable water to all uh, residents in the state of Missouri. And I work with them on what are called citizen suits under the Clean Water Act, where we identify uh, sources of pollution where the state isn't enforcing against and trying to stop that pollution. And we uh, seek legal action to try to stop that type of pollution. Um, and then I do a lot of uh, land use uh, and open space work where we represent different uh, community groups, citizens who uh, are trying to protect open space, whether it be a park or a forest land or anything like that, and try to help them use uh, land use and zoning uh, processes and procedures to try to get their local governments uh, to protect or preserve a, a natural resource. Well, it's been great hearing about the work that both of you two are doing. Um, and Bob Manise, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Sarah Rubenstein, thank you for joining us. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.